Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? What's good? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kit Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. So this is gonna be um this is gonna be our Saturday episode. This is our Saturday episode. So I got I got I got quite a good episode a story for you guys. Um the NBA, NFL, we got the World Series started on Friday, starting tonight, starting today. So that should be pretty good. Um, I have a, I really have a lot to get into. I have a lot to get into. I couldn't, I was so excited. I couldn't wait to get on this episode and talk and talk to you guys. Um, but you know how we give it up. So Saturday episode. So, um, you know, intro, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid, Isaiah Kid podcast. Shouts out to everybody listening. Shouts out to everybody listening and supporting greatly, greatly appreciated from you guys. Um, let's get into it. So yeah, shouts out to all the first time listeners. If you are a first time listener, shouts out to you. Shouts out to anybody that's a first time listener that found this podcast that, you know, a friend may have told you about it. So for shouts out to everybody, um, shouts out to if you are a regular listener of this episode of this podcast, excuse me, if you're a regular listener, shouts out to you. I greatly, greatly appreciate you and you're probably, um, you're probably spreading the word. So thank you. Thank you. So let's get into it. And we have the NFL. Is, first of all, the NFL is really strange. I've been talking about this over the past week or so. And like how weird and how odd the NFL has been so far and how the season has treated us. And, and granted, here, here's the thing. I think... When we think about the NFL, and I'm looking at some, I'm, I have these like some like these division standings in front of me, and boy, like the NFC West, the NFC South, the the AFC South, like these divisions. There's just a couple of divisions that are just bad. That like they are just bad. Teams are just unraveling with injuries or coaching blunders, quarterback blunders, there's so much. And there's some there's some things I want to get into. Let's start with this. And I wish in terms of NFL free agency, every year we celebrate free agent signings or like or trades like a Russell Wilson trade where like cuz cuz think about it. The Russell Wilson trade, that's the same as a free agent signing. Like, the trade goes through, then the Broncos give him a new deal. That was a part of the trade. So, like, it's a free agent signing kind. Like, it's a free agent acquisition. But in the NFL, we, every, each and every year, we celebrate these free agent signings. And we always we always think about like the best case scenario. We like it's very seldom, very rare when we talk about free agent signings and we think about okay, what if it don't work? What if this one doesn't actually work? What if this acquisition for this particular team doesn't work? Because nobody in their right mind going into week 8 would have guessed, hey, <laughs> Denver Broncos, 
Russell Wilson, like Russell Wilson, gonna look awful. He's gonna look like he's gonna look like one of the worst players at the quarterback position. And the Broncos gonna only average fourteen points per game. And offensively, they're just gonna look like a hot mess. Like nobody would have thought that. So we, I feel like we always go into free agency with the most positive and optimistic attitude when players move in free agency we always have the most i mean i wish we had this same type of energy i wish a lot of like i wish people in general had the same type of energy for life <laughs> like imagine because every free agency signing that we see or at least most of them right we're like oh yeah that's gonna work Devonte adams that's gonna, like that's like that should work right and in the NFL, especially, free agent signings, um, it's a 33% hit rate. I talked about this in my previous episode where I spotlighted it and talked about Russell Wilson and JC Jackson, where, as I'm explaining, in offseason, when these moves, when these transactions were made, when Denver got Russell Wilson, when JC Jackson signed with the Chargers, you know, everybody was everybody was so optimistic. We were like, wow, that's a really good fit for Russell Wilson. He gets upgrades on the offense. And then with the Chargers, we were like, oh, yeah, JC Jackson, one of the premier corners, pickoff artists in the, in the league. Like, this this works. This, this should work. The Chargers had secondary needs. He fits what they need. He was the best corner in the market. They got it. Same thing with Devontae Adams. We're like, oh, you know, Devontae Adams, many consider the best receiver in the league. The Raiders were an explosive offense already. Then you add on with Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. They already have a relationship. They were a playoff team. Uh, like... It, 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 it's okay. It's been okay. The, the, the Devontae Adams, it hasn't been like a home run, but a lot of people looked at it as a home run, but it's been okay. Like, that experiment has been okay. And then Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, we – there were some thoughts that Matt Ryan was kind of washed. Like, there was, there was, there was some rumblings that he was washed. Atlanta definitely thought it was the best, you know, the best option to move off of Matt Ryan. And boy, boy, oh boy, wanted out of Atlanta. So it got traded to Indy and it has not worked in Indianapolis because he just got benched. And we, we sensed that Matt Ryan was washed, but we gave him kind of like the benefit of the doubt, like, okay. Indianapolis, an improved roster, a, a, a legitimate team that could be a playoff team. Like we gave him the benefit of the doubt, and it was like, okay, he all he got to be is decent. He don't have to be like an all pro. He just got to be decent. Boy, Matt Ryan, he got benched. He just got benched. So it's 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 interesting with the whole with with certain teams underperforming certain coaches underperforming and then we got like the giants and the jets <laughs> like we're like first well they ryan dayball first year coach robert sala he's a second year coach but we're like whoa where the where the hell do the giants and the jets come from like what the hell what the hell is going on like i feel like the top of the league bills chiefs like we kind of like a lot of people could have saw that coming right 
even a lot of people were like pretty high on Philadelphia. So it's not too surprising that Philadelphia is this good. Cause like we looked at Philadelphia's roster. We looked at their schedule. And I'm like, yeah, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, they should be pretty good. And they were and Philadelphia was ahead of schedule last year by making it to the playoffs and being a playoff team. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um so I think there's a lot that goes into it. But let me talk about two of the biggest names in the sport, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, because I talked about Russell Wilson struggles because it's funny. Russell Wilson is probably having his worst seven game stretch of his career. Tom Brady is probably having his worst seven game stretch of his career. And Aaron Rodgers is probably having his worst stretch, his seven game worth this his worst seven game stretch of his career. Right. And I want to start with the Packers. Let's start with the Packers because the Bucs, they had a Thursday night football loss. We're going to get to that. Let's start with the Packers. With the Packers, the Packers right now are tumbling downhill currently. And once again, Aaron Rodgers calls out his teammates publicly, goes on a YouTube video, calls out his teammates and What he he said, like he called out his teammates and basically in calling out his teammates, he kind of like called out Matt LaFleur. And I've always, this has always been my knock on Aaron Rodgers, not the talent, because as a talent, he's really good. And there's not many that you could possibly say that are better than him at the position in terms of a talent. If we're just looking at talent, pure talent. There's not many people that come close to Aaron Rodgers, talent-wise, that has played the position. But in terms of the other stuff, the leadership, because right now, what, what, what I'm seeing in Green Bay by Aaron Rodgers and his actions and his words, it's not it's poor leadership that's being displayed right now by Aaron Rodgers. And this is what I worried about coming into the season with the Packers. And I told you guys, I was like, hey. Green Bay this year, offensively, they don't have they're not great. They're not explosive offensively, and they're not great at all. And, and some of the some of the household names that they have, like Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb, they either pass their primes or have a tendency to be hurt and injured. They have, they could be injury prone. Sammy Watkins can be injury prone, and Randall Cobb can be injury prone and a little bit past his prime. So the the older you know, name guys that 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 Green Bay has not really reliable, and then they got a bunch of young guys, bunch of young guys. And Aaron, I, you know, I saw the Packers lost this past weekend versus the Commanders. I saw the Packers lost. It it, it was the, you know, it seemed like Green Bay was. It seemed like Taylor Heineke was going to give Green Bay the game in the in the first quarter or so, but then Taylor Heineke started to find his rhythm. The Washington offense started to find its rhythm, and it just never really seemed like because it, it looked like oh okay, so Green Bay might actually run away with this, and then Washington found the rhythm, and then it was like wow, Green Bay might actually lose this football game. They might actually lose this football game, and they did. Um, and he had and Aaron he put together the, this one touchdown drive in the fourth quarter that ended up in an Aaron Jones touchdown pass. But when when I when I see this Packers offense, and I told you guys, I say, hey, 
offensively, they're not going to be explosive. They're going to have to win a lot of 21 to 17 type of games because the offense is just not going to be able to generate enough points. And hey, so the Packers are already on the two game losing streak. They lost to the Jets and the Washington Commandos. <laughs> they lost to the Jets and the Washington Commandos. And guess what? They get a treat Sunday night football going to Buffalo, playing the Bills. That that's their prize. And Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, they're three and five. I'm just gonna stick my neck out there. I think Green Bay is gonna probably be three and five as well. So I say this like, hey, the Packers. And I think there are some parallels between Aaron Rodgers and Brady. Um, I want to talk about the Bucs, but I think there's some parallels. But in terms of the Packers' struggles, like it's their offense is just anemic. Um offensive line is uh Dave the, the David Bakhtiari injury, he's one of the better left tackles, but since his injury, the he's been treated weirdly like he was a late scratch. He was a late Saturday night scratch for the Commanders game on Sunday, so he didn't play. And his backup, his backup was interviewed this past week, and his backup was like, "Hey, you see the way he looks in practice? Like you always got to be ready. Like that's that's literally what the backup left tackle said. He said, "You look at you, you know, you look what you watch him in practice. Like I have to be ready at all at any time. So it's kind of weird how the David Bakhtiari injury." And rehab process has gone like it's it's weird because they gave him a new nice contract and he hasn't really he hasn't really played much since he's got the new deal. So that 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 that's just a whole different thing in itself. But you can t- you can clearly tell that like Devontae Adams presence like Aaron, dear, he severely misses having miss having that. That guy that can just get it. I need a first down. You go get it. I need a touchdown. You go get it. We're in the red zone. I need a score. You go get it. Like he clearly, clearly misses that guy. And I, I think in, in, instead of like actually trying to embody and build up some of these young receivers that he has on his roster, Aaron's demeanor, Aaron's approach, Aaron's approach to leadership and what he says publicly it 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 gives off a really bad taste it gives off a bad taste and it's poor leadership and that was that was kind of my fear and now you have in your division in the nfc north you have the vikings running away with the division because the vikings are currently five and one they're coming off a bye this week and their schedule they're like their schedule is really favorable and the Vikings don't look like they're slowing down. So I, I just look at Aaron's temperament, his leadership. I don't like it. And it's it's always been, that has always been my biggest knock in terms of Aaron Rodgers. His demeanor, the passive aggressiveness, the poor leadership. I never thought his demeanor would fit with this caliber of talent around him because I look you can just look at the Green Bay offense and look at their receivers the the, the most talented guy that they have on offense is probably Aaron Jones I mean, he's their back 
and you could only run the ball so much. Like when I when the defense know you're gonna run the ball, I can just line, I can stack the box and be like, hey, okay, beat me. And Aaron's not washed. He still throws a really good football. Aaron's not washed. He can still move around. Aaron, so so I'm not saying that. I'm not insinuating that Aaron Rodgers is washed. But I do think his temperament and the way and his poor leadership, his lack of leadership, I don't think it's a good mixture with this group that he has. I don't think it's a recipe for success. And Matt LaFleur, you know, he called Matt LaFleur out. But on the other hand, it's like, hey, Matt LaFleur, I mean, we call him a good coach, but like, it's it's actually time to like coach now in Green Bay, because in his first few years in Green Bay, he had he had talent, he had a lot of talent, but now that that talent has kind of gone away, it's moved, and it's actually time to like coach. And Matt Lafleur, he has yet to answer the call. So we'll see what the Packers look like going into Buffalo, but I don't I don't predict that it'll be good. They're ten and a half point favorite. They're ten and a, a ten and a half point underdog. So uh, I don't think it's going to be good. But let me shift gears to Tampa Bay, who had a Thursday night football loss, and the Buccaneers. Here's the thing: the Bucks. I tried to give them the benefit of the doubt, but they're now two games below five hundred. Um, and the in the, like I said, the NFC South is a complete mess. It's like putrid, like goodness gracious. Like you see the records in this division, three and five, three and four, two and five. Like, oh my goodness. So both like there's there's all these teams are just spiraling. So they had a so the Buccaneers, they had a a malfunctioning loss to the to the Panthers. And then they lost to the Ravens, who have been fairly inconsistent themselves. And now they're on a three-game, I think they're on a three-game losing streak. The Bucks are on a three-game losing streak. And I often bring this up when I'm talking about older athletes because one of my, as, I, as you guys know, one of my favorite players is Peyton Manning. And we usually see this in sports where, like, players get older, great athletes, great players, they get older, and physically they just break down, right? Like, physically, they break down. And that's what I saw with Peyton Manning. Like, Peyton Manning, his last year, that was not Peyton Manning. That was somebody else pretending to be Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was physically broken. He was, like, just his his ball didn't look like it, it was bad. It was, it, was, it was very hard to watch. We seen it with Drew Brees. I came on here. I came on here a lot. And I told you guys, Drew Brees, he just don't got enough zip in that arm. Drew Brees physically broke broke down. Ben Roethlisberger, I told you guys, I was like, hey, Ben don't take care of himself. I can tell that Ben Roethlisberger, this is not the Ben Roethlisberger that I watched growing up. He he was big, couldn't move, immobile, just just wasn't the same physically. And so we see it all the time. Like, we see it all the time with – Older athletes breaking down physically, age, and nutrition, right? We see it all the time. And it's it's usually hard to watch because we know, like, we once knew what they could do physically. And then as they get older, it's like we see them and it's like, whoa, what a fall from grace. But with Tom Brady, that's not the case. Like, that's not the case. Like, Tom, he's never – physically, he looks fine. 
Tom has never been able to like move and be mobile. Like Tom has never, that's never been his thing. In terms of his arms, like he still looks like he got a he like his arm still looks just as good, if not better. I don't like so physically, it's not a physical thing with Tom Brady. Like his body, I don't think his body is breaking down per se. I think what he has going on off the field in terms of like divorce, possibly, I don't know, like, but like what he has going on off the field, I think has definitely impacted and has it is it's it's certainly having its effects on this year and in, in its play because like I said he's arguably going through his worst seven game stretch and it's the first time that he's below two games two three two games below five hundred in twenty years like it just doesn't happen this we haven't seen Tom and his teams look like this so physic but physically when you watch him I don't think it's a physical issue I think for, for well first we can start with this. The offensive line, the Buccaneers, they lost Ryan Jansen early in the season, early before the season even started. They lost him. They lost their two guards, Alex Kappa and um, uh, I'm blanking on the name. I'm blanking on the name. But they lost they lost both of their guards, Ali Marpet. They lost Ali Marpet to, uh, to retirement, Alex Kappa to free agency. Jansen got hurt. So they, he lost his – all pro center, his pro bowl center, and then he lost his pro bowl caliber guards. So three three out of the five offensive linemen makeshift. That has not helped Tampa Bay. Offensively, that has not helped. Because you look at the games that they have lost, you look at the scores versus Baltimore. They only scored 22 points. And really, they really scored 16 because that other t- that last touchdown came with under two minutes. It was garbage time. You look at you look at the scores of these games that they're losing, and it hasn't been pretty. And their problem is clearly their offense. They're not able to generate enough offense. That's been their issue. That's been Tampa Bay's issue. So when I look at Tom, I'm like, it's not physical. It's not a physical thing. Because Tom physically, like I said, he's never been like the super like fast, like no. No, that's never been his thing. But in terms of what I'm seeing and what I'm watching with Tampa Bay and, and their defense, their run defense used to be the best in the league. Teams wouldn't wouldn't teams wouldn't dare run on Tampa Bay. Well, versus Baltimore, they gave up 230 yards rushing, and also that's been kind of the trend throughout this past throughout this season, where Bucks rush defense hasn't looked as effective. It hasn't looked as dominant. Teams wouldn't dare run on Tampa Bay because over the past few years, they've had one of the best run defenses in the, in, in the league. Now, it's like, uh, teams run on them, you know, teams run on them, whatever. But I think also, more importantly, the Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians' absence. And it's okay. In terms of like, it, that, was the, that was all Tom Brady. Tom, Bruce Arians, just up and retiring and leaving coat like no that was that was a lot tom brady had a lot to do with that decision tom brady tom brady forced the hand of the buccaneers he forced he forced bruce arians to retire but yet that might be his regret that might be biggest that might be tom brady's biggest regret to this moment because with bruce arians first 
I know Bruce Arians is he's he's known for like happy hour, loosey goosey. He's not the guy that's gonna punch in forty hours a week, eight hours a day. That's just not Bruce Arians, right? And I think a lot of people give him a lot of flack for that because, like, okay, he's he's not he's not a super hard worker, grinder type of he ain't he ain't Belichick in terms of like the details and the like the like he's not doing all that. Bruce Arians is not doing all that. Bruce Arians freely, you know, like I said, loosey goosey, right? That's what we call him, loosey goosey. He runs a he runs a loose ship. That's what a lot of people he runs a loose ship. But in terms of Bruce Arians, first he knew what he was doing. Bruce Arians, not saying he was I'm not saying Bruce Arians is like is Tom Landry, right? But you look at Bruce Arians' track record, like the dude knew what he was doing. And I think with Tom, Tom got to a point where like Bruce Ar- Bruce is just driving him crazy, right? Like you get to a moment, you get to a point and in turn, I would imagine like a guy like Tom Brady. LeBron James, like, you get to a certain stage, you're like, oh, what the hell? This guy is driving me crazy. So I, I would imagine Bruce Arians is probably driving Tom Brady crazy. But Bruce knew what he was doing. You look at it, you go back and look at his tender in Arizona. The first year he got to Arizona, they were a 10 and 16. Mind you, to add context to that, that was in the midst of Pete Curl and that Seahawks team, those Seahawks teams, and uh, Jim Harbaugh and the 49ers. That was in the midst of all of that. And he went 10 and 6 with those with, with, with Arizona his first year. And then you think about if you look back, the year before that, Chuck Bagano went out due to cancer, remember? The year before that, Bruce Arians. He took the Colts to the playoffs and were a nine and three team, nine and three football team with a rookie Andrew Luck. And you ask yourself, how in the hell did the Colts get Andrew Luck? Well, they had the number one draft pick. So that shows you how bad of a football team they were. The year before, the year before Andrew Luck, they were a bad football team. They were the worst team in the league. Year after, Bruce Arians goes nine and three with that same Indianapolis Colts team with Andrew Luck. Nine and three. So this dude, so Bruce Arians, like we, we, like I said, we give him a lot of flack because he's not like the super hard worker. He's not like the, he's not going to be the coach that's pounding the clock 40 hours a week, eight hour work days. No, that's just not who Bruce Arians is. But his style works. His approach works because he, he knew, he knew what he was doing. And I also think we're like in Tampa, like we thought, he gives like Bruce Arians this all loosey goosey stuff like that narrative and that notion. It gives like the um, the impression that like, hey, Tampa Bay is a it's he's not running a type ship. But boy, I look at Todd Bowles. I look at Brian Leftwich. I I think Todd Bowles, he's probably the best defensive coordinator in football. I think Brandon. I think Brian Leftwich. Is going to have. I think he has a a great future in terms of offensive play calling and being a coach in this league. But clearly, they they they're a little they're a little overmatched. They're a little overmatched in terms of the coaching in Tampa Bay. They look a little overmatched. They look a little overmatched, and I always say this: 
I think, like I said, Todd Bowles, in terms of a defensive mind around the league, they ain't, they ain't, they ain't too many people, too many coaches that's topping Todd Bowles as a defensive-minded guy, in my opinion. I don't think there's too many people. I don't think there's too many coaches in the league that's topping him in terms of defense. And like I said, I think when he's a defensive coordinator, he's arguably the best defensive coordinator in the league. So I think I think when you're so one-minded in terms of like a defensive-minded coach, right? That's Todd Bowles. I think when you get that head coaching job, there is just so, so much. And it's so different from being a coordinator to actually running the entire ship. And that's one thing I think looking back at it, and Tom is probably realizing, Bruce Arians knew what he was doing in terms of a in terms of being a head coach and running the entire ship. Because when I look at this Tampa Bay team, I see a team that's outmatched. I'm not saying Todd Bowles can't can't coach football. I wouldn't I wouldn't dare do that. I'm not saying Todd Bowles isn't a great defensive mind. Same with Byron Leftwich. I think they are awesome. I think they didn't get with that that Super Bowl run. I thought Todd Bowles had a I thought he had a big, big contribution to that Super Bowl run. But in terms of a head coach, I just don't think Todd Bowles. I I, I think he's more, he's that he's that guy. He's that kind of coach where he fits as a coordinator. I don't think he's a head coach. I just don't. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a head coach in this league. Because, granted, he had the Jets situation, and that obviously we know that Jets situation wasn't the best situation, but he wasn't good in that instance. And now he's struggling with a Tampa Bay team that's really, really talented, and he's struggling. And it, it, it like, and it's apparent. It's very like obvious. So, in terms of Tampa Bay, like with Green Bay, I think Green Bay they have personnel issues, and I also think with Aaron Rodgers, like I think Aaron and his lack of leadership isn't a good. It's not a good mixture with this group, with this young group that he has in Green Bay. And with Tampa Bay, Tom is older. Tom is going through some stuff off the field. But I think the biggest regret this offseason for Tampa Bay and Tom Brady may be that, that they let Bruce Arians just retire. Like, I thought, I think his presence in that locker room. I, it, it looks like it was really vital. It looks like it was really vital. Because you ask yourself, what is different about this Tampa Bay team? What's the glaring difference? And the glaring difference is at the coaching position. Granted, they lost, like they're like I said, their offensive line, it's a bit in shambles. But ultimately, Bruce Arians was the was a was a voice within the locker room that I thought everybody Granted, whether he got on the people's nerves, whether his work ethics were questionable and in doubt. And like I said, we all know Bruce Arians isn't the guy that's going to work 40 hours a week. That's just not him. But he clearly brought something to the locker room that was much needed throughout those years. And he obviously knew what he was doing as a coach. 
And now they're the, the, the Buccaneers are devoid of that on, on, in the locker room in terms of coaching. They're devoid of that. And they got some, like I said, they got some really good football minds and Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich. But can they galvanize troops as head coaches in this league at a high level? I'm not sure. And Tom seems flustered and Tom seems frustrated. So let's move on to, speaking of a coach and coaching, let's move on to Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Because, and I tell you, I tell you guys this, I try so hard. A lot of people give me a lot of flack because I push back and I criticize Belichick, but I think it's all in, in fair judgment. I think it's all in fair judgment. And once again, the moment I give Bill Belichick some props where like, I'm like, Hey, you look at, I was talking about uh, Pete Curl and how Bill Belichick, they're older coaches, but they're somehow some way find ways to win games. Well, I would, I spoke a little too fast. I think with Bill Belichick and the Patriots, they're obviously they had their Monday night football loss, but I gave them too much credit. And I think as a collective, a lot of people within the media gave them a little too much credit for beating up on the Lions and Browns, who over the past, well, historically haven't been great. And then in recent memory, haven't been great as well. There are some pieces that I like on, with Cleveland and Detroit, but ultimately they're not good football teams. They're not good football teams, and Bill Belichick and his defense took advantage of that. But my biggest knock on Bill Belichick is, hey, he has no feel for offense. No feel for offense in 2022. Well, the way he handled the quarterback situation in in New England currently was very confusing on Monday Night Football. It was very confusing how he handled this past week, how he handled the quarterback situation. And the way he handled the way he mishandled the quarterback situation tells you all you need to know about Bill Belichick and his feel for offense in 2022. And here's my thing. Okay, Bailey Zappi wins two. He, he, he you're on a two game winning streak of Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi, the offense, it looks more fluent. It looks a little bit more exciting. You roll with him. I think you, I thought Bill Belichick should have rolled with him. Okay, instead, he started Mac Jones. Mac, Bill Belichick started. He went in and he went ahead and, and gave Mac Jones to start. Well, Mac Jones had a short leash. He didn't look good after two possessions. After two possessions, Belichick pulled him out. Belichick pulled him out. And my question is, hey, if the leash was that short to begin with, why go back to Mac Jones if you were only going to put Bailey Zappi back in after two possessions, if the leash was that short? And that right there tells me all I need to know about how Bill Belichick is handling the quarterback situation in New England. The way Bill Belichick mishandled this type of quarterback situation currently in, in, in New England, it kind of explains my overarching point and my biggest knock on Bill Belichick over the past few years. No feel for offense. When it comes to drafting and free agency, doesn't matter. No feel for offense. And it starts at the quarterback position. This is this is year three without Brady. This is year one without Josh McDaniels. And the offense looks like an utter disaster, an utter mess. And I and I give you these numbers. Since Brady has left, the Patriots been 20 and 20. 
They've been a 500. They've been an average football team. And I'm not, hey, and I think right now, Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones, I think, you know, when the, the time that Zappi played, he gave the offense a little bit more spark. But in terms of with, the, with these two guys, giving you, like, I don't think Bailey Zappi is a franchise quarterback. I don't know. I just don't think so. Mac Jones, according to a lot of people, there's a lot of promise. But you guys know how I feel about Mac Jones. I thought coming into the draft, he was a high floor, low ceiling type of guy. I thought he had a high floor. I thought his floor was pretty high. But in terms of him being an elite quarterback, an elite, like, being the heir apparent to Tom Brady, I just didn't see it. I just did not see it. And in the last 10 games, Mac Jones, he has a 60, he has a completion percentage of 63. He's averaging 206 yards with 10 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. And if you, if you want to include fumbles, four fumbles. And he lost two of them. So my whole thing is I I I found it like I found how Belichick handled the whole quarterback thing and who to start. I, I thought he I thought he mishandled that situation. I thought he mishandled that situation. And it like if Mac Jones, if his if his leash was gonna be that short, why not just stick with Bailey Zappi? If Zappi looks good, you stick with you stick with Bailey Zappi. If Zappi don't look quite good, like then you go back with Mac. But the he he gave Mac the start. He gave Mac a short leash. Bailey Zappi's coming off of two consecutive victories, and he looked pretty good in those victories. You don't start him, fine. But then you give Mac Jones a short leash, and then Bailey Zappi comes in, and everybody's chanting Zappi. Next to possession, he scores. And it's like you like Mac Jones, like you completely kill his psyche. And here's the thing. Belichick is a defensive-minded coach with no feel for offense, and he's he's 70, so he's not, like, young and, like, trying to pivot. No, 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 no. Belichick, is, he has experienced so much, so much success with doing it his way. Now, granted, a lot of the success came with Tom Brady, and you look at his track record since Tom Brady has left New England, Hasn't really done much. And you know who Bill Belichick is turning into? You know what this feels like? You know what this New England this New England team feels like? Where, like, the, the NFL, the league, has completely pivoted towards offense, heavily leaning towards offense, having a playmaker at the quarterback position, and the Patriots have none of that. The Patriots are devoid of that. You know what it feels like? It feels like Greg Popovich in the NBA. Where post post Tim Duncan, post Kawhi Leonard, Spurs haven't amounted to anything much. Spurs haven't done much. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. And Belichick, we consider him the greatest coach of all time. But even the all-time greats that we all love and admire have they have flaws. Michael Jordan. Some people call him the GOAT. You guys know how I feel. Michael Jordan he had a hard time getting up, getting along with others. Michael could sometimes be uh 
Michael could be for Michael at times. Michael had a hard time getting with others, getting along with others, playing with others. He would he he would revert back to his ways at times. LeBron James, all-time great. Some people call him the GOAT. LeBron struggles to shoot free throws. Like every all-time great have a hole, including coaches. And Belichick's biggest knock, especially right now, and it's so glaring, he has no feel for offense, and he's a defensive-minded coach that is 70 years of age, and it ain't looking like his offensive feel or sensibility for offense, it ain't looking like it's going to get any better. It's not getting any better. So when I look at this Pats, when I look at this Pats receiving group and tight end group, It's not special. The offensive line, it's okay. The backs are fine. But you're in a division with Josh Allen, and now Miami has Mike McDaniels. And um, I don't know if you know this, but when Tua plays, the Dolphins are pretty good. And with Tom Brady, here's the funny thing. With Tom Brady and the Patriots, they 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 would win a lot of games. They would win a lot of games, but they were really boring. They were boring to watch. That would be the knock on the Patriots. Okay, yeah, they win, but they're boring. And you can't really, like, you can't really bash or criticize them for being boring because, like, they win. They were winning more than anybody in the sport. So you can't you can't really criticize that. But now the Patriots, they're boring and average. Like, they're not even winning. At a, like at least with Brady, with Tom, with Tom Brady, they were winning more than everybody else in the league. And you'll be asking yourself, who in the hell is Tom Brady throwing to? Who is this guy throwing to? Who is Tom Brady throwing to? Who is that guy again? Who caught that ball? You'll be asking yourself that, and then you'll be saying like, "Hey, the Patriots, they are just boring to watch, but they win." Now, they're average. And they're boring. And you're still asking yourself, who who in the hell is Mac Jones throwing to? Who who is he throwing to? Who's that receiver? It's bad. And that goes into Belichick in drafting. Belichick having a hard time drafting, developing offensive players. New England, they don't draft offensive players as well. They don't they don't develop offensive players well. Like they have a hard time with offense. I, and I talk about it all the time. Certain coaches, certain teams, certain organizations sometimes historically struggle at drafting certain things. Like the Bears, they can't draft they can't draft offensive personnel to save their life. The Bears can't draft offensive personnel to save their life. Defense, fine. Offense. Name the Bears' greatest receiver of all time. I wait. Like, certain organizations, certain coaches can't draft certain certain positions in, in units. And with Belichick, you look at his track record in terms of drafting, period, really. But if you look at his track record in, in terms of drafting offensive player and trying to evaluate offensive talent, he has done a bad job to say the least. Like, he's done a bad job. So, with Belichick, in my opinion, mishandling this quarterback situation, 
it tells you all you need to know about his feel for offense in the current game of the NFL. It furthers his him mishandling mishandling this quarterback situation further proves my point about Bill Belichick and him not having any feel for the game offensively in the NFL in 2022. So much he has Matt Patricia calling plays now. Right, right. That that that's crazy. That's crazy. So, I mean. So, hey, the moment I gave Bill Belichick some props and I was like, hey, New England, like, hey, they're fine the way win games. That fo- I, the following week, they get they get killed. And the funny thing, this is my last point about Belichick. And this is what make the Bears Monday night game so, like, so interesting because for 20 years, Belichick and his defenses feasted on first and second year quarterbacks. Like that's one of the most guaranteed absolute bets you can have in the NFL for the last 20 years. Belichick versus a rookie or second year quarterback because he cuz he I mean he made a living and he won a lot of football games off of winning off of beating and just tormenting first and second year quarterbacks and Justin Fields arguably had his best had his best career game as a pro versus Bill Belichick. It was just weird to see. That's what make this game so magnifying and that's why so many people are talking about it. And then you add in the fact that like hey, Belichick and the whole quarterback controversy that he now that he now has in New England. And granted, I think he's gonna probably go back with Mac Jones, and I think that 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 should be the right call. But I think going into Monday night versus the Bears, he should have started Bailey Zappi if Mac Jones's leash was going to be that short. If you were only gonna play the kid for two possessions and pull him because he didn't like how he was playing, like, like you should have stuck with Bailey Zappi. But that furthers my point. That goes to show you. And that tells you all you need to know about Bill Belichick and his feel and sensibility for offense in 2022. Let's move on. So speaking of coaches, um, let's talk about Nathaniel, Nathaniel Hackett and the Denver Broncos. So a report, his job might be on the line. And I think this is a good segue because I also want to talk about a few other coaches that may be that may be on the hot seat, but Nathaniel Hackett's probably the top of the list. And looking at this, judging by this report, I might be right. Um, so I already talked about Nathaniel Hackett in terms of Denver. It seems like it was a mistake. Um, it seems like he's not the right guy for the job. It seems like he's a little bit over his head. And he reminds me a lot of Freddie, Freddie Kitchens. So a report comes out about um, Nathaniel Hackett. His job might be, his job may be on the line, uh, depending on what happens to the result of this Jacksonville Jaguar game on Sunday that's taking place in London. And I say, and I, this is one of my pet peeves for coaches. If you get hired as a coach and your calling card is offense, per se, Nathaniel Hackett, in his instance, his calling card was supposed to be offense. You get the job based off of you being an offensive minded guy. 
Well, I'm you know what I'm expecting to be good? Your offense. I'm expecting that to be good because that's your calling card. That's your strong suit. That's how you landed the job. That's my that's my biggest pet peeve for coaches in terms of hiring coaches and so forth. That's my biggest pet peeve. And I look around the league and I look at the coaches that's that that's having success. I look at the coaches that's working and that have worked. You know that you know what usually happens? Sean McVay. He's the offensive guru. He was he was boy wonder. When he gets a job in LA, you know what you know what the Rams problem was before Sean McVay took the job? Offense. Jared Goff, number one overall pick, looked like a bus. The following year, first year, Jer- Sean, Sean McVay's first year, offense, fine. Offense took off in L.A. Offense took off with the Rams. Sean McDermott in Buffalo, he's a defensive-minded guy. You know what got, you know what changed? You know what got better the moment Sean McDermott got the job in Buffalo? The defense. Mike McDaniel. How about a re- this is this is even more recent. Mike McDaniel, Brian Dayball. Mike McDaniel, first year coach in Miami. Brian Dayball, first year coach in in in, in uh, with the Giants. Miami's biggest issue biggest issue last year was like how do we get Tua, how 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 do we get Tua to look apart? How do we look? How do we get Tua to look apart? How do we get this offense look looking looking more? Explosive, you know what they did? They hire offensive minded guy. Mike McDaniels come from he comes from out of the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. So you know his calling card is offense. You know what looks good in Miami? You get guess who has a top three offense in the NFL? Oh, yeah, you guessed it. The Miami Dolphins. With Mike with Mike McDaniel, first year head coach. Brian Dayball. Granted, the Giants, they're not really explosive offensively, and that's a little bit due to the personnel that they have. But Daniel Jones, guess guess who has turned around their play, cleaned up their turnover act? Guess who have done that? Daniel Jones. I don't know. I think a big reason, a part of that could be, I don't know, Brian Dayball, maybe. Robert Salah with the Jets. He got hired all he got hired off of the merit of him being a defensive minded guy. His hit the time the, the time he spent in San Francisco as the defensive coordinator and what he had that 49ers defense doing. Year two. The Jets have one of the best defenses in the league. So when I look at a guy like Nathaniel Hackett, where I look at him like, uh. Uh, the Broncos, they have, they're averaging the, they're averaging 14 points per game Four, they they're averaging 14 points per game. That is, that is, that is the, that's dead last in the league. They rank dead last in the league in points per game. And then I also think like with Russell Wilson, like, Hey, I'm still, I don't know. I, I told, I, I made an episode about this, about Russell Wilson in him looking cooked, am I am I totally convinced that Russell Wilson is washed? Now, granted, now Russell Russell Wilson had his last four years were great. 
he had four great really years. He's coming off of four great, really good, really good years. And this year, I'm just supposed to assume assume that he's cooked after four great years. He had four really elite all pro caliber years. And this year, he looks like he is the worst player at his position. I'm not saying Russ shouldn't be held accountable. Russ should be held accountable. But in the history of sports, I have never seen an athlete have four really, really great years. And then the following year, they look they look like the worst player at their position without any drug use or injuries. I'm just I'm supposed to think that Russell Wilson is just cooked. And Nathaniel Hackett has no type of, I don't know. I don't know. But granted, even if Russell Wilson is cooked, I still think Nathaniel Hackett, we've seen it when week one, clock management, time management, penalties, the undisciplinedness. We kind of seen it in week one. We saw the rumblings a little bit in week one. It hasn't gotten better. When week eight. This is, a, this is a big game for Nathaniel Hackett and his job security coming up on Sunday. And then I look at some other coaches around the league, like Brandon Staley. I was when the Chargers hired Brandon Staley, I was really high on Brandon Staley. I thought I thought it was a pretty good hire. I like the hire. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I like the hire of Brandon Staley. But you know what's and he got the job with the Chargers because of because he was a defensive coordinator with the Rams. Well, you know what unit of the ball, you know what unit been struggling for the Chargers since he's taken over the job? You guessed it, the defense. And granted, the Chargers have had injuries and the Chargers have kind of chargered, but Brandon Staley, he got hired off of him being a really, really good defensive-minded coach. Well, the Chargers, they they get ran on easily. The secondary get torched. They got talent all across the defense, and the defense still looks bad. I don't know what you want me to do with that. And I think Indianapolis, I talked about Matt Ryan earlier in this pod, but I look at a guy like Frank Wright. I think Frank Wright and Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard they have done a good, like in, in terms of, Putting a really good, solid roster together in Indianapolis, I think they have. I think they have done that. But Sam Elliger becoming a starter, I think that's more of like a that may be more of a, like a Jim Ursay type of move. With Jim Ursay put his he 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 put his heavy foot down. He put the heavy hand down. He was like, hey. He probably told Chris Ballard and um and and. And, and Frank Wright, like, hey, you guys keep bringing in quarterbacks, Carson Wentz, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan now, and we're paying these guys some. We're paying these guys a pretty penny, and they just ain't getting the job done. And I feel like a little bit of this is like, hey, I, I, a part of me feels like, hey, Jim Mercey made an, exe- made an executive decision. He's seen enough of Matt Ryan, and he's like, hey, start the kid Sam Ellinger. And then a part of me is like, hey, Frank Wright made this call to start Sam Elliger to possibly save his job. 
because the offense ain't look it hasn't been looking too good in Indianapolis. And Frank Wright got the job because he was an offensive guy. He got the job because of what he did in Philadelphia the year they went to the Super Bowl. The year they went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. So that's my that's my biggest pet peeve as a coach. If you get the job because you're an offensive guru, well, I'm expecting your offense to be pretty good. I'm expecting your offense to be at least decent. If you got the job because you were a defensive mastermind, I'm expecting your defense to be pretty good. I'm not expecting your defense to get ran all over. That's just me. But I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to give you guys my top 10. I'm going to cap this thing off. I'm going to give you guys my weekly top 10 list that I know you guys have been waiting for. So I'm going to give you guys that right after this quick break. So, okay. I'm going to give you guys my top 10 list. My top 10 seems like uh, I'm not going to front to you guys. This list was really hard to put together because there's been so much inconsistency and up and down and just teams losing left and right, a lot of injuries. So this is my top 10 teams list. This is what I'm going with. Um, so here, here it is. I Here it is. Uh, here it goes. So at 10, granted, they're below 500, but I have the 49ers at 10. I think right now I really like this team. They just ran into a buzzsaw versus Kansas City. Like the 49ers, they just ran into a buzzsaw. But if you look at the box score and if you actually watch the game, the 49 they were able to move the football up and down the field, but I think they got too caught up. They spent a lot of time in time in trying to trade for Christian McCaffrey. And then once they got Christian McCaffrey, they were trying to find ways to utilize him. And they spent too much time on that and forgot to like, hey, oh, yeah, we got to prepare for the Kansas City Chiefs. And in the second half, they ran into a complete buzzsaw. The 49ers as a team, they have a lot of elite traits as a team, but they must get healthy. They're second in sacks, they're third in total defense, but they have to get healthy. Now, Debo Samuel's out, but the 49ers – um. They, they they should be getting they should be getting a couple more key starters back like they did this past week. They got Trent Williams back, which which will be huge. They got Nick Bosa back. So you're looking at this 49er team. I know they're a little bit five. Uh, they're they're one game below 500, but you got to give it some time. They're, they this is a team with elite traits. They just got to get healthy. 49ers at 10. At 9, I have the Ravens. See, the Ravens, literally, with the exception only one game this year, the Ravens have led by 10 po- Well, no. Every every game this year, the Ravens have led by 10 points or more. Only the Eagles have done that, and the Eagles are undefeated. But the Ravens, they have three losses. So they're like, what the hell? But the Ravens... They have led every game by at least 10 points at some point this year. Every game. They don't play well late in games in fourth quarters. They have struggled. They got a big-time Thursday night win over the Buccaneers. I wanted to move them up a little bit, but I just couldn't find myself doing that because they just been a little bit too inconsistent. Now, the next five games, the next five weeks, is really, really laid out for them. And they got some. They got a lot of winnable games. They should be favored literally in every game. So 
this Raven team, they might find their right pace. They might find they might start clicking at the right time. But I got the Ravens at nine. I think this is a really good football team. At eight, I have the Giants. I, I can't deny it no more. Now, some might argue I have them a little bit low, but I think their ceiling is low. They're, they are, quite frankly, the best second-half team in football. Brian Dayball, um, what he has done with this roster, and what he like, it's just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. They're second in the league in rushing yards. They're, great, they're a great situational football team. Could they be a little fool's gold? Possibly. But it speaks to it speaks to the job that Brian Dayball has done. Now, could they be a little fool's goal? Maybe because they're winning a lot of close game. I do think there is some skill to winning close games, and you have to be good situationally. But I also think like there's a lot of fortune and luck that goes into winning all of these close games, and you may not have that same fortune and luck throughout the season. But you look at their next three games. The Giant, they got some winnable games as well, so they could rack up some W's. And we could look at the Giants; they can be a seven and one, eight and one football team in the next three games. So I may have them a little bit low, but there's definitely the best second half team in football. They have been so far this year. Could they be a little fool's gold? I think, but Brian Dayball has done a hell of a job with this Giants football team. Giants at eight, but I had the Cowboys at seven. With Dak returning, I think the Cowboys, they're a little bit better than the Giants, and they beat the Giants without Dak. So you give them their starting quarterback back. I think they're better than the Giants. Here's the thing. The, the Cowboys' defense is an elite defense. They're, they, they are the elite unit. They're only allowing 4.6 4 yards per play. That's second fewest in the NFL. They have great playmaking on defense at each level. They have the best sack differential in the league. Now, their offense is a little bit worrisome. Their offense may hold them back. I need to see them. I need to see them clean some things up before I can really con, before I can really consider the Cowboys as a serious contender within the conference. But they have an elite defense. They should if that can if that can get healthy and turn this bad boy around offensively. The Cowboys could be dangerous, but I have them at seven. I think right now at six, the Dolphins are better. When the Dolphins have Tua, they're 4-0 this year. When they have Tua in the last 12 games, they're 10-2. Get this, too. They're third in the league in passing, only trailing Kansas City and Buffalo. They have a nice, capable defense, and they have playmakers with Tua. They just need Tua to be healthy. But I, I've been talking about it. Mike McDaniels has done a great job with this Dolphins offense. Their defense over the past few years has always been capable. And we may not we may not think Tua's all flashy, and he may not do it in the most conventional way, and he may be small, and he may have some inefficiencies, and he may be a little injury-prone, but in the last 12 games, the Dolphins are 10 and 2 with Tua, and they win a lot of games. They're 10 and 2. Last 12 games. You know that, you know what record stack that stacks up against? Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. They're third in league in passing. You know who that stacks up against? You know that you know who they're trailing? Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, the Bills and the Chiefs. So you look at this, you look at this Dolphins team. <laughs> they that 
they they are really good when they have a healthy Tua under center. I got the Dolphins at six, but I have the Vikings at five. The Vikings look really good. Now, here's my thing with the Vikings. They look really good. Look like they're a really real coach team. Their only loss came against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. They could literally run away with their division in the next couple weeks. Like if they if they play their cards right, the Vikings could run away with their division this year. They could run away with the division. If the, looking at the next couple games, you look at who Green Bay has to play. You look at Detroit and Chicago. Like, are we really sold on Chicago? And you, then you look at Green Bay. Like, Green Bay, can they get their acts together? We don't know. I got the Vikings at five. It may be a little high, but this is a football team. You could look up, and the Vikings could be seven, seven and one, eight and one in the next coming weeks. I'm telling you. So this Vikings team, they're really good now. They're they're susceptible to giving up some some explosive plays. And we all know that Kirk Cousins has his limitations as a quarterback in big moments. But this Vikings team, they're a really good football team. I got them at five. But at four, I think the Cincinnati Bengals would beat them. A lot of people panicked about the Bengals' start. A lot of people was worried about Cincinnati. But get this. Their three losses this year are combined by eight points. All three of the losses were like last second field goal touchdown losses. So a lot of their like they're losing a lot of they're losing some close games. And but so far, but hey, you look at their last three games, they're killing it. Joe Burrow, he's killing it. Joe Burrow's back. So you look at Cincinnati, people panic because of the, you know, their first few games to start the season. Um, they got a new offensive line. They had some new pieces on the offensive line to really work out. Defenses were giving them some new looks, some new looks that they had to adjust to. Now they're getting back in the groove of things. Joe Burrow looks really good. This Bengals team looked like the third best team in the AFC. And I don't know. They look like they would give Kansas City and Buffalo a lot of they 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 would give Kansas City and Buffalo a run for their money. Um, this Cincinnati team is really good. They look like over the past few weeks, they look like a top five football team. Also, get this. Their defense hasn't allowed a second half touchdown yet. Their defense hasn't allowed a second half touchdown yet. That is an impressive stat. The Cincinnati Bengals defense is underappreciated because they're so they're so good offensively and they get so much talk offensively. But they're a little bit underappreciated defensively because they don't have like superstars. They don't have Donald. They don't have a Bosa. They don't have they don't have Duran James. They don't have like they don't have the the household names. But they are good as a collective group. I got the Bengals at four, but I have the undefeated I have the undefeated Eagles at number three. Um, this football team they have an identity. I love the fact that Philadelphia has an identity now. Schedule's a bit flexible. Uh, I would like to see them play against some. I would like to see them play against the NFC's best. But right now, who in the hell is the NFC's best? The NFC's best is the Vikings and the Cowboys, and they beat both teams. I don't. So I don't know what the hell to think about the with the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles they like the best team in the NFC right now. I I can't complain. They they also got a trade in Robert Quinn, who's also there's another pass rusher that's really good. So the Eagles are really stacking up on depth. On both sides of the ball, I like this Philadelphia team. 
Um, let's see, let's see, they can, let's see what they can do. Let's see how long they can keep this undefeated streak going. I got the Eagles at three, at two, I have the Chiefs. Yes. Um, Kansas City, they're obviously they're good. They're second in passing offense in the league. But here's my knock with Kansas City, their pass defense. I'm not sure if I trust Kansas City in a playoff game where they may possibly have the lead and the other team has to throw the football and that leaves their pass defense and their secondary very susceptible. So I'm 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 having my worries and that's why I think Cincinnati is really close to Kansas City and then this is why I have the Bills at number 1. The Bills are averaging nearly 6 yards per play. Not nearly. They're averaging over six yards per play. They're almost averaging nearly seven yards per play. That's amazing. That's that, that's a Super Bowl stat. And now the Bills can win close games. So when I look at Kansas City and when I look at Buffalo, and Buffalo beat Kansas City at Kansas City, and I think Buffalo overall is the better team, could Kansas City beat Buffalo in the playoff game? Sure. Yes, absolutely. But I worry about Kansas City because of their pass defense, because their their run defense is really good. Their pass defense is what knocks me because a lot of time, Kansas City, they're going to probably have a lead. So with that, what, what does that force? That forces the opposing offense to throw the football. Well, that leaves their secondary very much susceptible. And that's why I think Buffalo is a little bit better. I think Buffalo, they're a little bit more balanced as a team overall, and I trust their defense. So that's my top 10 teams list. I'm going to wrap this bad boy up. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm out. Um, I'll check in with you guys probably early in the week again um, with, with a recap, with a brief, quick recap. But I hope you guys enjoy. Always remember two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace, gone, deuces. Enjoy.